Right now, we're in the middle of a series called Flip This House. And just like different rooms in your house can fall into disrepair and you need to go and do a renovation, same thing happens to different areas of our lives. And when you start to think about your house, what's the most important room? What's that room that has the most impact and influence on, on your life and on the relationships that you have? I think it's right here in the kitchen. But the irony is that even though the kitchen is probably the most influential room, it's also one of the most unused rooms in the house. Only 23% of us actually sit down in this room and eat a meal together. 23%. See, the, the kitchen has changed. It used to be that, that you used the oven and it took time to prepare the food. But now we've got the microwave. You just pop it in 60 seconds and you're off and running. We've already mentioned, only 23% of us use it. Another thing that's changed in the kitchen is the empty chair. But not only that, for those 23% of us, both singles and, and families that actually gather around and have a meal together, there's another device in the kitchen that has taken away from that time. It's the TV. Pop open the, on the TV and, and take that in, and no longer are we engaging when, in one another's lives and, and finding out how everything went. Things have got to change. We have gone through a time in our lives where we have gotten so busy and so crazy and we see the impact of that crazy busy schedule right here in our kitchen. And so it's time to come back and to, to engage in life in the kitchen. It's time for a change. Okay, I gotta confess something. I really don't want to talk about the kitchen. Now, and what we just talked about up there is looking at the kitchen and how the kitchen has changed. But what we really need to deal with is the reason why we don't use the kitchen as much. The reason why we are no longer having meals with friends and with family and, and having that time of gathering at the end of the day. And the reason is that we are just crazy busy. And would you agree? Just our, our, our culture is one where we are constantly on the go. And even though we have gotten ourselves into this, this lifestyle, if you can even call it that, we know that God commands and calls us to times of rest, to times of renewal, to times of gathering together with family and with friends. In fact, it was so important. Having a day off is so important that it is one of the Ten Commandments. Now, just let's think about this for a minute. The Ten Commandments. I mean, they're like, you know, uh, they're very important. That they're like the sum of the Old Testament laws is just taken up in these Ten Commandments. They're big things. Now, let's just, let me rattle off a few for you. Thou shalt not kill you shouldn't go over and kill people. That's, that's a pretty big commandment, right? That's a life-changing one in your society. How about this? Thou shalt not steal. You shouldn't go over and take things that aren't yours. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You shouldn't be trying to sleep with somebody who is not your, your spouse. You should just take a day off. Does that sound a little out of place? I mean, come on, think about it. Don't murder. 
Don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery. And take a day off. You know, kick back, relax. But yet God seems to feel that this is so important that it should be one of the Ten Commandments, that it is one of the Ten Commandments. Okay, listen to it. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor your alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The first thing I see here is that it's not just about us taking a rest. But if we have responsibility over anybody in our lives, if, if we own a business and there are people who work for us, we need to make sure that they are able to take a day of rest. Our children need a day of rest where they're not running from this thing to that thing. And not only that, but we see that God actually ties this in to the creation narrative. He says six days it took him to to create all the things that, that there was to create. On the seventh day he rested, and he did not need to rest. All he needs to do is to think and to speak, and, and creation leaps into existence. But on that seventh day he rested, so that we would know and have a model for how our work weeks should go. That there's six days for us to expend our energy and then there is a day of rest and relaxation. Well, when you look at the Old Testament scriptures, um, the, the, the ones that the Jews had at that time, uh, they not only had this, but they had something called the Talmud. And just like some of your Bibles will have some notes or some things to help you understand different passages in there, the Talmud was their commentary. And I just want to read uh, from an excerpt of some of the, the Talmud that gives you a picture of what this Sabbath day ended up looking like. It says, All things were to be made ready for the Sabbath on the preparation day. The tithing of Sabbath food was to be seen to, the meal prepared and kept warm, since no fire was to be lit on the Sabbath, and there was to be no cooking. The lamps, lamps were arranged and an Arab made. So you see immediately here that the Sabbath wasn't just about the guys in that culture getting the day off. But the ladies didn't have to cook. They, they've set out these little warmers so they kept their food warm. The day of rest was, was to be characterized by good eating. Whereas two meals were normally eaten on weekdays, there were to be three on the Sabbath. To be able to enjoy the Sabbath properly at these meals, it was advised that little should be eaten the day before and one should begin the Sabbath hungry. I love that. I mean, that's, you know, I know if I'm going to go out with my wife on a date and we're going out to a nice restaurant, it's like I'm hardly eating anything because I want to come into that thing hungry. It says the main meal was usually held at midday after worship. On the Sabbath day, guests were often invited so they could be entertained lavishly. Fasting on the Sabbath was not allowed, lest the enjoyment of the feast be hampered. That's the picture of a Sabbath. But it's important to note here that the, what we probably think of as the Sabbath isn't exactly what, what the Jews had as a Sabbath. Um, for us, our day begins, I, I guess you could say that your day begins at 12.01 a.m., but most of us aren't up at that time. So most of us, we, we start off in the morning. We feel like, ah, it's the start of a new day when I wake up 
at six or seven in the morning and, and start off with things. But for the Jews, their day actually began on at 6 p.m. in the evening. That's, that was the start of a new day. And a lot of times we think of a Sabbath as being Sunday. For them, it was Saturday. So if you were a Jew, the Sabbath would begin Friday night. You had all day Friday to kind of prepare, and you began the Sabbath with a meal. Meal with your family or with some friends. Then you went to bed, you got a good night's rest, you woke up in the morning, and you went to synagogue where you heard teaching from God's word. And then after that, you, you went home and you had a big meal with, with friends and you invited, and it was one of these meals that it wasn't like you just ate for an hour, but it just the thing lingered throughout the rest of the day as you made connections. Nobody was going off to the field. Nobody was going anywhere to work. You just had time to reflect. And not only that, it, all those other little details that had to be done, since they were put away, there was time to kind of pull back and to look at your life and where you're at from a, a macro perspective. You had to see the big picture. You know, there is such a great benefit to taking a day of rest, to having a Sabbath. When we moved here, that was one of the things. You know, talk about where I am most guilty, it's here. And here's what's the great shame, is that to say, you know what, I'm guilty of working too hard. You know, how many people go, oh, what shame to admit that kind of sin. I mean, isn't it almost like bragging? Think about this. We go and we say that we don't use our Sabbath, we don't take a rest, we don't do what God says, and the rest of us in our culture actually go, well, rest is good, but that's pretty noble that, you know, you're putting in those extra hours, getting after that, that's great. But when we moved here, I said, okay, I've got to make a change. And when anytime you change jobs and you move and you do all that, everything's up in the air, if you're ever going to make a change, that's the time to do it. And so, uh, Saturday night doesn't really work, neither does Sunday morning for me. So what I ended up landing on was Monday. And I've got this pattern right now. On Mondays, I'll wake up, I'll go for a run, I'll, I'll read you know, some, some passages of Scripture. I've got some things that I'm kind of working through. I'll go to a coffee house, and I'll journal on my laptop. I'll, I'll start to think. I, I've kind of created some rules. I'm allowed to think about big things regarding church, but I, I can't. I can't think about little details. I can't do a 90-day action plan or start putting things in that task list. I've got to just think big picture. And I, I try to just go for a walk somewhere. You know, put the iPod on. I'll tell you, it is so rewarding. It is so refreshing. And, and the, the thing that I just, I don't, you know, I hoped would happen but wasn't sure of is that I actually get more done during my week now that I am taking a day off. And I, you, you, you know how this is. You get going with your week and you're like, how can I find day? There's just not enough hours to get all the things done. But yet in cutting back, that's exactly what I experienced. God calls on us to take one day to find some manner, some way to carve out time for him and for family and for friends and for looking at your, your life in a big picture and talking to him about your life. But I think that we need to go more than just one day out of the week. You know, there's another rhythm that happens that we see in the, in the, in the creation narrative. And one is, yes, God rested. There's a Sabbath. But he also had day and night. 
And day is created for us to go out and to work. And, and night, what are we supposed to do at night? We're supposed to rest. We're supposed to sleep. And, and you think about this. For the Jews, their day ended, or I should say started at 6 p.m. And the first thing that they did is they had time of rest and relaxation. Do you realize for the bulk of human history, up until the last 150 years, that that's what people did? That you, know, you didn't have electricity, you didn't have a lamp that you could flip on. And so when it got night, you couldn't see to do anything. So you gathered around the hearth or the campfire and you had a meal and you talked about what you did during the day and then you went to bed because you couldn't do anything else. There's a pastor by the name of Randy Frazee and uh, he had a large church, growing church and uh, just the man was a type A personality, constantly on the go and uh, one night he went to bed and didn't go to bed, didn't sleep. And so the next night, same thing. Seven days later, no sleep. He says, well, maybe it's time to go to the doctor. And uh, the doctor prescribed for him. Uh, Randy was hoping he'd just get some pills. The, the doctor said, no, you need to take a month off. You are on a pace right now that is going to kill you. And, and because you are constant working, constantly multitasking, your body has, has such an adrenaline shot that it doesn't know how to kick it off anymore. So you're going to take an entire month off. Tell your elders... It's going to happen. And he took that month and he began to, to think through what does he have to do to change his life, to get it into some type of order so that he can continue to do his work and not burn out you know, by the time he hits 40. And so he started to pull back and look at the life of the early Jews. And he said, is there anybody today that does that? And he found a group of Bedouins that live in the Middle East. And he just started studying them. And I just want to read, this is the picture of the life of this Bedouin community. It's the same thing that the early Jews had in their culture. It says, because the work of the Hebrew was agrarian, productivity was accomplished during the hours of sunlight, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. At 6 p.m., the sun would set and darkness would begin to descend. And from that point on, the time would be devoted to relationships, time with family, extended family and friends, sharing a meal and a time of storytelling. No TV, no internet. Couldn't even read a book. Lights are out. This is where the Hebrew child would hear the creation story told over and over again. There would be no rush because there was no place to go, no mobility, no cars, no practices to be at, no lights on at those practices. Between 9 p.m. and 10 p.m., everyone would settle down to get a good night's sleep. The basic structure of a normal day for the Hebrews went like this. 12 hours available for productivity and work, 6 p.m. to 10 p.m., and then eight hours available for sleep, 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. That's the picture. Now, I assume that as I read that to you, there's probably two things that are going through your mind. One, that actually sounds really appealing. To be able to end your day at a, at a decent time, to be able to, to come home, hang out with family, or if you're single, invite some friends, go out for dinner. And then have the lights be low, let those serotonin levels get into the natural rhythm and cycles that God has created. Get a good night's rest. Then there's another part of you that says, how can you do that? It's impossible. I mean, you've got practices. You're, you know, kids are running from one place to another and, 
and there's always something to be done, how do you make this thing happen? I read this. I think about it. I'm in the same boat. I'm going, how do we make this happen? Our kids, they're getting, you know, the homework level for a third grader and a first grader. I'm just shocked. I mean, we literally, they get off the bus, and it's like, how fast can we get the meal and get the homework and get them in bed by that time? And there's just, you know, there's hardly any time to even, you know, say hi or find out what happened in their day. But I am convinced that we have to find a way And maybe it isn't every day at first. But you say, we're going to have one day. We're going to start with one. This is the day. We're going to get religious about it and say, nothing nothing can break it. We are going to have time with the family. The TV's going to be off. We're going to eat. We're going to talk. We're going to play some games. And then we're going to go to bed at a decent hour. Then you try to add another one and try to put that into your life. You know, the one thing I'm convinced of is that if we were able to do this, not only the Sabbath, but also the daily schedule, that we would, hear, we would finally experience life lived richly. That we really start to experience what God intended. And I know there's a lot of us that are thinking, you know, well, I just need to get through this time period, or I just need to run through the schedule right now. And eventually there's going to be a day And they go through life, always saying, eventually there's going to be a day. And that day never comes. But maybe someday when they're 65, and they look back and they go, what did I do with my life? How did I live it? You know, King Solomon, he was one of the the wealthiest and wisest. He was the wisest man that ever lived. And uh, he one time, he wrote this saying in Ecclesiastes. He says, the sleep of the labor is sweet whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. Now think about that for a minute. The laborer who just goes in and punches the time clock, what do we know about that guy? First of all, when he hits that time clock, he's going, getting his work done, work on the assembly line, doing whatever he needs to do. But when he punches that time clock at the end of the day, he's off work. He goes home. He does his own thing. He doesn't have to worry about all the other pieces there. There's somebody else that's doing that. He also doesn't make as much money as some other people. And because he doesn't make as much money, he can't afford all of the opportunities that those of us that are wealthier are. We've got a multitude of activities that we can be engaged in. This poor guy has to just go home and hang out with his family and, and talk and maybe throw the ball around with his kids. That's all he can afford to do. Yet he goes to sleep and his, his sleep is sweet. But the rich man, he's got so many things. He can do everything. And then he can get more devices and more technology to help him to do even more things. And yet there's no rest. Just run, 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 run. We've got to find a way to make a change. Now you don't have to be legalistic with this. I mean some people would say the Sabbath is Sunday. And I'd say no, the Sabbath is actually Saturday. They say, well, then you need to take your day on Saturday. Well, I take mine on Monday because it just works. Sunday's not a good day for me. It's kind of a working day. And Saturday is, is a big prep day for Sunday. You know, Jesus, when he was walking this earth, there was a group of people called the Pharisees that wanted to keep the law. And m- most of the battles, I mean, this is just bizarre. Think about it. Jesus running around, and most of the battles that Jesus has with these teachers of the law is over the Sabbath. 
Because they look and they say, Jesus, I think that your guys are walking too many steps. In fact, you've walked so many steps that, that I think they're working. One time, his disciples, he was walking with him through this grain, through this um, uh, field of grain. And some of the disciples were grabbing some of the grains and they would just kind of roll them in their hand and then pop them in like, like peanuts. And those Pharisees said, oh, look what you're doing. You're grinding, you're working. You're like working a mill worker. And then they caught him doing some work on a Sunday morning. Here he is on a, on a Sunday morning, on, a, on the Saturday, on the Sabbath. He's in the synagogue, and there's a guy who has a, a messed up hand. And they're watching. They're like, oh, he better not do the work of a healer on the Sabbath and help this poor guy out. There's a day for healing, and it's not the day that you're going to be talking about God's word with his people. There's some other day for, for healing people and investing in them. You know, there's a day to go out and, and help your neighbor out with raking the leaves. But if you see somebody out there and it's your Sabbath day, you have no business going over and helping your neighbor with plumbing or whatever they need. There's a day for that, right? And that's the kind of attitude they had. But Jesus says, you know, man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath for the man. God did this not to, to burden us down to have more rules and regulations to follow, but he did it because we need rest. Because we were built this way. He built us this way. He knows how we operate. And we need regular maintenance. Okay. So I'm thinking about this. And I've just thrown out for you. That you need to add a Sabbath. Because I know most of you are not taking a weekly day of rest. And you also need to add some time for your family in the evenings. And we've just asked all of you to be in a life group. That's going to take up one night out of the week. So I'm prepping this. And I'm thinking... Are we asking too much? Like, how are you going to pull this out? Because there's things that you're doing right now during those times. And now I'm asking you to add something to it. So I started to make some phone calls. And I just wanted to survey some people in the congregation. And I started with some of the stay-at-home moms. Because I just wanted to get a feel for what, they, what their work weeks were like. And I was really encouraged. Because most of them told me that they only put in about an hour and a half to two hours of work every day. That really their jobs are very, very easy. And I... No, this is what they said. And I said, well, how is this? And they said, well, our, our grandmothers used to have to go out and milk the cow and pluck the feathers off the chicken. And we've got microwaves and ovens and dishwashers and washing machines. And, you know, we eat bonbons and watch TV all day long. I said, this is great. This is what my buddies always thought you guys did anyways. <laughs> so then I started talking to some of the guys, some of the businessmen. I said, what are your work weeks like? You know, you're, you're traveling. I, I'm sure you guys are just crazy busy. These guys are like, no way. Are you kidding? We've got cell phones today. We've got personal computers, the internet. I can send stuff back and forth. The communicate, I mean, just-in-time inventory, Six Sigma processes. We are so efficient in the business world today that, you know, our bosses are like, boy, I don't have enough to do to even maintain a 40-hour week, let alone, you know, give you, overtime or other things to do okay i'm kidding around here but shouldn't it be that way i mean i can statistically go in and show you how in the united states because of all the technology that we have our productivity has increased uh, just multiple we have so many devices to to free up our time and yet we are crazier and, and running just wilder schedules than we've ever done in human history. The very things that are supposed to help us out that have more time somehow pull that time away. 
You see, if you want to add this stuff in, you're going to have to subtract some things in your life. And you have to begin doing that by decluttering your life. You have to go through, look at your life, and find some things that you need to pull out. Some things that just aren't adding as much value as some of these things that God commands for you to do. Well, we can start with TV. Ran the statistics on that. Men spend three hours and 28 minutes on average watching TV. Women are at two hours and 41 minutes. Every day. That's not a week, that's every day. I read that and said, no way. I mean, I know we watch a lot of TV, but come on. I started thinking about it. You know, our goal is to get the kids in bed by 8 o'clock. Not for their benefit, but for ours. And when we finally get them in bed, the first thing we do is pop on the TV. The DVR, you know, I've got the news programs. I got, you know, shows that we like, and we can watch them without commercials now. And, and suddenly, two hours is done like that. I mean, it's so easy to burn that time. But there's time all over the place. How about, think about children's activities. Those of you who have kids, especially those of you who have kids who are a little bit older than my kids, you guys scare me. I mean, and I feel the, the, the sucking of the vortex <laughs> calling me to get my kids involved in all these different activities. It's like, you know, my kids are going to be behind, you know, and they're not going to, they're not going to be able to make the track team or the, or the football team, and then they won't get that Division I scholarship and, and play pro ball someday because we all know, you know, that's how likelihood that is. Have you ever thought about some of the things that we're doing? And, and just the practices. I, I remember as a kid having like one practice a week. How many of your kids have one practice a week? You know, there was actually a time when families were the the wife would be at home making a meal in the evening and, and the, she'd send the kids out. The mom would send the kids out and they'd go play. Like neighborhoods, you'd see kids like get together, they'd play kickball or they'd run around doing whatever. We used to chuck hedge, ball, hedge apples at one another when I lived in Kansas City as a kid. But you did other activities. But that just doesn't happen. Our, our kids need their own little calendars and schedulers just to keep up. You know, all of these things... We have to go through and evaluate. And I can't make a decision for you in regards to any of them. But as good as they are, they take us away from the things that are most important. Jim Collins, he wrote this book called Good to Great. It's all about companies, um, becoming great companies. But I love it. He says this, the enemy of great is good. The enemy of, of the best thing are those, all those little good things that aren't the best thing but they take up all the space. You know, Jesus did a lot of his ministry and meals, socializing with people. And one time he was hanging out with some of his best friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And Martha, she was the older one, and she's having Jesus over for dinner, so she had to have the house swept and, and you know, decorations in place, and cook with some pans, and then put them in the nice fancy ones because you're having people over. And she's going to town to make this dinner right, and her younger sister Mary sitting over there listening to Jesus teach. Now, especially in that day, there's a cultural thing here. And if you were a woman, you weren't going to be sitting there listening to, to the teacher teach. You were to be in the, in the kitchen making that stuff happen. She's frustrated. She looks to Jesus and she says, Jesus, do you see what my sister is doing? Could you help me out here? And Jesus says, Martha, Martha. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. 
Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Are you choosing that one thing? Are the things that you're spending your time on the most important? If not, you've got to go through and declutter and make sure that you're obeying this command that God gives to take a rest and have a Sabbath. All right, I think there's another side to this equation. Not only do you have to declutter your life, you also have to work more efficiently. That means that when you go into work on Monday morning, that while you're at work, you work. You don't do other stuff at work. You get your work done. You know, the same study that looked at how we're spending our time as far as TV and other things also looked at work. And what they said is that men work four hours and 26 minutes a day and the women work three hours a day. What are you women doing in the... I don't know. I guess the real question is what the guy is doing for the other five, six, seven hours. They say they're at work, right? Now, I know there's some nurses out here who are just running like crazy going, oh, I'm on it. And there's probably some of us that work about an hour a week. There's probably the law of averages, right? All evens out. But think about that. If you really start to quantify it, and one of the things that they found in the study is that people always think that they work more than what they actually do. When there's somebody actually going over and having an accounting with a little stopwatch to see what they're doing, that's when you start to realize how much waste there is in the day. There's a, a pastor by the name of Andy Stanley, and uh, he's got this church that's uh, a large and influential church in Atlanta. And, uh, you know, he's often asked the question, what's the, like, is there one thing that was a driving force to why your church is the way it is? And he says, yeah, there is. He says, there's one point in my life where I had this epiphany, and it just changed my life and changed the course of North Point and, and made it the church that it is. He says it was early in the church's life when they were first a church plant. And, and a church plant is a lot like a, like a new business. You know, it owns you. You know, you are a slave to it every waking hour. You're just running crazy. And uh, he realized he was praying to God. And he said, God, I am working so hard to build your church and to make things happen on this end. Could you find a way to fill in the gaps with my kids and with my wife? Because I'm just not able to spend the time with them that I know I need to do. And there were two passages of scripture that just came flooding to his mind. And they're not even related to one another. But one of them was, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. And the other one was, was something that Jesus said. Jesus said, I will build my kingdom and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And he started thinking about that. The one specific command that God has given me is to spend time with my wife and my family. And he says, Jesus says that he will build his church. And so he decided right then and there that he was no longer going to be working 70-hour weeks. In fact, he was going to be home at 4.30 p.m. every day. He said, God, I'm going to just give you my 40 hours a week, and you build whatever size church you want to build or can build with my 40 hours, but I'm no longer going to be giving 70. I'm going to obey you and honor you. He says what changed there is that it changed the way that he, he thought about doing, I mean, hey, if you know you're leaving by 4.30, you know you've said that you made this vow and you're going to do it, you've got to get some things done. And not only that, you have to delegate and you have to make sure that you're always doing the best things and you're spending your time where it's most needed. And so he attributes that one decision right there 
with the growth, enormous growth and influence of North Point. See, I think a lot of what we're talking about here is just a matter of doing it. You've got to trust God and do it. I know how this is. It's like you, you come to church on a Sunday morning and you know, you're sitting in a movie theater and it's almost like entertainment. I mean, you hear a story like this and you want to hear stories of characters in the Bible and it's like hearing Rocky or, or you know, the story of Rudy or Hoosiers or some other you know, come from behind hero kind of pulls it out in the end. But it's really hard to take that decision and join into the action to become a full participant to risk your job because you're now going to say, I'm only working this many hours. Or to take a, a job that is less work but less pay because these things are so important to you. It's not easy to do that. But I promise you that if you do it, if you take a chance, if you step out and talk to that boss, or you change jobs, or you do whatever you have to do to obey God in this command, that he's going to bless you. He's going to make it happen. One of my good friends from uh, Kansas City is a guy by the name of Craig Casey. He works for this engineering firm called Burns and McDonald. And they, uh, they're building the buildings that are going to build the Joint Force Strike Fighter, the, the new you know, plane that the military is coming up with. And uh, he just recently got a promotion. And so the guy is just, you know, he works with billable hours and he's just got crazy schedule all the time. And... Uh, he made a decision that he was going to work a 40-hour work week. Nobody in his field works a 40-hour work week. You just don't do it, especially when you get that promotion. You've got to manage other people and also get your own work done at the same time. But that's what he did. And he was such a good worker that everything worked out great until he got a new boss, a guy who had recently been divorced, had no kids, was a workaholic, was there on Saturdays, was there on Sundays, putting in those 70 hours, expected his other guys to do it. So Craig walks in there and he says, listen, I am going to give you uh, a day's work for a day's pay. And I'm going to work hard while I'm here, but I'm going to leave at this time, every day. And uh, his boss was not happy with him. His boss wanted to get him transferred to another division and things didn't work out there for that to happen. And uh, so the boss was just kind of waiting, you know, you know how this is. You got to wait and kind of build up uh, a, a, a series of events so that you can fire somebody legally. They're just going to wait on Craig. And suddenly he realized that Craig was his most productive person. Not only that, but people from other departments were asking Craig to come in. And so they were using him as well because he was so productive. And eventually it got to the point that there were so many people in other departments that wanted him that his boss was like, no, you got to keep him Craig. And he won him over. Now, I don't know if that's going to happen with you, but I do know that there is a principle that God will provide. Now, listen to this story here. We've got Moses, leader of the nation of Israel. He's leading them out of slavery in Egypt. They, they disobeyed God, didn't go right into the promised land, so they're, they're sent to wander for 40 years in a wilderness. No place to get food, no place to cultivate food. Uh, really hard to catch anything out there in the desert. And so God fed them every day with this stuff called manna. Just listen to this. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as, it, uh, as much as needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. Now on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. 
And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. You know, they're kind of shocked. They come out there every day. There's just a certain amount. There's twice as much this day. So he said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy day, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded. And it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Isn't that cool? God feeds them every day. They can't try to save it. It spoils if you try to keep it to the next day. But on the day before the Sabbath, there's twice as much out there, and it stays. So they have exactly what they need for the next day. Now, this may come as a shock to you, but those same type A personalities that you run with today, they existed back in Moses' day too. So what do you think the type A personality did on the Sabbath? Nevertheless, some of the people went out to the sa- on the Sabbath day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why you have... S- That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where he is on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now, I read this, I hear this, and I I see us in there. I see myself right there, smack in the middle of this passage. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it but they found none. Are you taking the Sabbath? Are you going out and taking extra time to get extra work done? But when you're honest with yourself and you look at your your life, you realize that you're finding none. You're not really finding a life worth living. That that you just start to say, well, I got to get through this time because I'm working on my master's and I'm trying to do a job and and the kids have got their thing going and two years from now, we're going to be sitting pretty and I'm going to cut back those hours. No, I got this new promotion now. 10 years from now, I'm the big boss and I can really set my own schedule. And before you know it, you're 65, facing retirement, looking back on your life and realizing that all those times you went out, you kept finding none. When God said, if you just take a rest, take what I have to give you, I've already provided enough for you you're going to find that you have plenty to get by on. Not only get by on, but you have actually more than had you worked through that rest anyways. Okay, we're going to change gears right now. And I want to have the ushers start passing out uh, the communion. And uh, those of you, you know, you may be here for the very first time or you're not sure what the taking of the Lord's Supper is all about, but it's what Jesus wanted us to do to remember him. And here's the thing I want to tell you. When Jesus said, there's one thing that I want to do that you just, I want to drive this in your heads, okay? This is my last time to be with you, my disciples. I've been with you for three years and I want to spend time just talking over, it's like a big overview course of everything that we talked about for the last three years. He decided to do that in the confines of a meal. 
And when he said, I want you to do this continually to remember me, what was he saying? I want you to regularly have a time of rest that you gather together and have a meal where you talk with others and you remember who I am. How cool is that? And one of the things that Jesus said that night is he said that if you, he says, you know, I'm drinking this, this drink with you, but I will not drink this again until I drink it new with you when all things come to fruition. When all of us are, are at the great banquet. That's the terminology, that, that, the picture, the uh, word picture that he gives us is a great banquet that is laid out for all of us. That we all gather together. So what I want you to do right now is, is when the music starts playing, then you can take it, take communion, and when you feel that the time is right. But I want you to have this picture in your life of sitting around a table like Jesus did with his disciples, talking about how good God is in your life, knowing that you just put in a good day's work, you've worked hard, and now you're kind of settling in, and you've earned this time of rest, and that you just are living in the moment. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us rest and calling us to this and giving us this reminder that we are to take time for other people, take time to reflect and remember who you are, and to think about our own lives in context of what it is that you want us to do and want us to be. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.